There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Maybe a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie. Starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. And we are going to start right here. Hello and happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Mad Kwanzaa. And to all you atheists out there, top of the morning to you. Uh, <laughs> This is Triple Feature, a Rattledgen Broadcasting Network uh, podcast, and joining me tonight to celebrate, uh, to bring his Yuletide, to, uh, to to partake in this festive festive exercise, ladies and gentlemen, ho, 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 it's Evan Bevins. How do you do, sir? Uh, Merry uh, Christmas to you, Mark. Uh, I'm doing all right. Well, thank you, Evan. So... You and I were talking offline, and, and this is a very special Christmas episode of Triple Feature. We're going to be looking at Fat Man, uh, starring Mel Gibson and Walter Goggins, Walton Goggins, The Ref, starring Dennis Leary, Judy Davis, and Kevin Spacey, and In Bruges, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, and Ralph Fiennes. And this all started because you had approached me privately and was like, hey, have you ever done Fat Man? I want to talk about Fat Man. And I was like, funny you mentioned that. Because last year when it came out, Pat was like, why is no one talking about this movie? And I was like up to here in podcasts at the time. So I was like, there's no way I'm getting to this. It'll be March by the time we get to this Christmas movie. So when you brought it to my attention again this year, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go see The Matrix Wednesday night like I thought. So now I have a free night to podcast. And here you are, Evan. Here you are with all your Christmas cheer. Here I am. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I did not uh, learn about Fat Man until... Like sometime this past spring, mm -hmm. so um, I was like, "Well, I have to I have to see this," but uh, you know, um, and uh, ev eventually uh, the, it was just sitting there at my library, even at Christmas time, and uh, I kept pitching other triple features in franchises you'd already done, and you're like, "Okay, I want to watch the ref. You want to talk about Fat Man? Let's get one more um, not kid friendly Christmas movie and go." Yeah, so I actually, we uh, we went to go pick up our Christmas tree, and on the ride home, my wife is trying to talk to me, and I'm tuning her out like I am want to do, like you do in a good marriage. Just don't, don't listen to your wife unless it's important. Um, <laughs> anyway, she's trying to talk to me, and I'm like on the phone. I'm like, listen, I'm trying to find this. I'm trying to like settle this triple feature with Evan Bevins. This is what's important right now. She's like, it's family time. We're, I'm like, ah, you're driving. We're fine. So I'm on my phone and I'm literally looking up like weird Christmas movies, you know, and of course there's the classics out there. There's the bad Santas. Um, there's a whole bunch of others. Like there, there were some new ones this year on Netflix. Um, and I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to make Evan Bevins watch single all the way uh, <laughs> <laughs> or some of these other ones. You know, I think Disney had a really fun one last year. My wife and I watched called Noel with uh, Anna Kendrick. And I'm kind of looking, looking, looking. And I'm like, all right, we're, we're talking about fat man. We're talking about the rap. I'm like, What's a really off the beaten path one? Like, what is one that would nobody would talk about? So I, I just that's what I looked up. I googled weird Christmas movies or or like not Christmassy Christmas movies, and In Bruges was on all of those. 
I still don't totally understand why. I, uh, I it's it's been a while since I watched In Bruges, mm-hmm. and I don't know a lot of people that that watched it. So so when it showed up on the list, I was like, let's talk about In Bruges, yeah, and yeah. I was like, that was a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. It's, have... it's the least Christmassy of these movies, but uh, I've, I've been wanting to go back and watch it again for a while. So uh, I said, I, hey, Mark's game, let's go. I think it takes place around Christmas time as part of it. It's, it's definitely in the winter. But yeah. I, I think I, I think on all the lists that I looked up, um, yeah, there, it was like tangentially, tangentially Christmas related. I'm like, perfect. That is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, a... it's, it's more Iron Man 3 than Batman Returns. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's get into Fat Man first here. So Fat Man came out in 2020. As I said, it stars Mel Gibson, Walton Goggins, Marianne Jean Baptiste, um, David Gordon Green, and Danny McBride, sort of executive producers. And uh, it was directed by Eshan Nelms and Ian Nelms, who do not have Wikipedia links. It was also written by them. And the plot goes like this. It's a, it's a fairly simple plot here. Chris Kringle lives with his wife, Ruth, and runs his Christmas present shop on a farm near the town of North Peak, Alaska. With his income on the decline because too many children becoming too vicious, the United States government, who maintains an interest share in Chris's business, sends Captain Jacobs to propose a two-month contract for producing components for a new jet fighter for the U.S. military. The liaison agents override Chris' misgivings <clears throat> by virtually threatening to withhold the government subsidies, but Ruth manages to restore his spirits. On Christmas Eve, spoiled rich boy Billy Wenin receives a lump of coal from old Chris Kringle for his selfishness. After swearing revenge, he hires his personal hitman. You know, I don't know about you, Evan, but I always had a personal hitman growing up in the mean streets of Uniondale. Well, I, uh, you know, I, I like to keep my options open, you know, <laughs> and really look at the individual for the job, but you know, sure. whatever works. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Miller to kill Chris. After some futile attempts, Miller coerces a postal ser- uh, service supervisor to tell him Chris's address from the letters he receives every year from children around the world. Making his way to the nor- to North Peak, he trails Chris to the farm, infiltrates the compound, and kills the U.S. Army guards like you do. He is discovered by one of the elf workers. The alarm is raised, and Jacob manages to evacuate the workers at the cost of his own life just before Miller blows up the shop. Chris faces off against Miller and gains the upper hand. Miller first wounds Chris with a leg-mounted spring blade and then shoots him in the eye, apparently killing him. Ruth intervenes and shoots Miller dead. And because he is essentially immortal, Chris recovers from his injuries, like a Marvel superhero. (laughs) (laughs) Backtracking Miller's assignment, he and Ruth pay a visit to Billy, warning him that from now on, Chris will come for him and any other kids if they turn against their fellow human beings again. Afterwards, Chris, Ruth, and the elf crew start rebuilding their workshop with renewed confidence. So it's a the lovely tale. It absolutely is just full of Christmas cheer, this movie. All right. This was this was your this was your passion. This was your pitch. So let's hear it. What'd you think of Fat Man? I, I, I enjoyed it. It was I, I, I had a little trepidation going in. Um first of all, you know, the idea of Mel Gibson as Santa Claus. <laughs> Mel Gibson as a disgruntled Santa Claus who we meet shooting beer cans off of fence posts. <laughs> yep. And then Walton Goggins, who uh, I, I always refer to as Boyd Crowder from Justified. Uh, I'm like, j- just the idea of these two guys facing off in some kind of twisted Christmas story seems like it could be good. Now, honestly, I was expecting 
you know, just like a, you know, cartoonish shoot 'em up bloodbath. And yeah. that is not at all what we got. Um, but uh, I, I, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I always think it's neat. Uh, it, it's not certainly not the first time um, that uh, someone has done the, uh, well, how, how would Santa function um, in right. the real world? I mean, he obviously does function in the real world. Uh, mm-hmm. All you kids watching this podcast of R-rated Christmas movies. <laughs> <laughs> but you know we're we're, we're trying to, to to figure it out, and um, I, I don't know. It, it feels like kind of a uh, you know an interesting twenty first century kind of a, a, a little bleak. But there there was also a little more hope in, in this movie than I expected. It it is an interesting it's a, it's an interesting meditation on cynicism at Christmas. You know it, you know the idea of the purest of the Christmas symbols, Santa Claus, Kris Kringle loses his faith you know he's seen too many children uh turn to the dark side as it were turn against their fellow man too many kids who are naughty and not nice and he is now starting to lose his you know faith in himself the spirit of christmas and there's his wife steady as a rock going don't get don't give in don't wallow in self-pity don't give in to all of these negative feelings you are the spirit of christmas you are this ray of hope and you know you know in a world that's yeeting off a cliff with you andrew <laughs> um it's <laughs> my favorite word yeet uh anyway and and I, uh, my and children I, have told me i don't know how to say it, to use it properly so oh really you've got yeah <laughs> okay um but i love that about this movie like it's a silly in, as an elevator pitch it's kind of a silly concept but i think in in execution, it actually works really, really like better than you'd expect it to, especially based on the pitch. Like, oh yeah, you know, like what if what what if we do like a gritty a, a gritty real concept of 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 Santa Claus who's actually like building parts for the military and he you know he's lost hope and everything and then he gets attacked by a hitman and through you know through these trial and tribulations he finds his faith and you're like what are you pitching <laughs> what is this nonsense but it works so well and I think that's part of it because. Mel Gibson is so committed to this gimmick. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I mean, Goggins makes a great uh, makes mm-hmm. a great villain. Um, I mean, mainly the things I've seen him in besides Justified. Of course, he was in Ant Man and the Wasp, um, and uh, a random episode of In the Heat of the Night uh, mm-hmm. that just happened to be on in syndication. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's Boyd. Um, so, so yeah, he I mean, was, he was also Shane in the wire, uh, not the Jesus Christ, he, the, the shield. Oh, okay. I was, I was a little worried we might not get a wire reference in uh, today. <laughs> we got so, it accidentally. Um, yeah. <laughs> my, oh, other hey. favorite, my other favorite show. He was, he was uh, Vic Mackey's best friend in the shield. Okay. All right. So, so yeah, I, I, I like him. Um, I, you know, I, I know uh, some of the, Mel Gibson's not as a, well thought of as he used to be, he's you know made some mistakes, but I, I always find him fascinating to watch, and I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm always interested to to see what he's he's doing. So um, even though I I was afraid this would veer into violent parody, I was like I, I got to see these guys on screen, and it it was absolutely not what I expected. I also like the way that they um you know they they, they kind of built up the uh, the uh, the unreality aspect of it. Um, you know. You don't see you see him go out on Christmas Eve. You see him come back um, mm-hmm. bleeding, uh, but you know I'm like okay, so we're not gonna see. I think we got a shot of some reindeer in a barn, 
You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to see a flying sleigh. We do see a sleigh. And then I'm like, and, you know, we're not going to see elves. And then, boom, there's elves all of a sudden. Yep. The, but there's the, even a plausible explanation for the elves. Well, one of the funniest things in the movie is at one point, the military and the elves are kind of just hanging out in like a mess hall, essentially. Yes. And and the elves are all eating and it's nothing but sugar. It's candy. It's cookies. It's baked goods. It's breads. Sugar on top of sugar on top of sugar. And the, and the military, like one of the soldiers is like, what are you eating? And there's this whole conversation that takes, it's a good five, five minute scene or so. And the whole thing is they're comparing diets. Yeah. And the elves are like, you need, you know, you need carbs and simple sugars. That's what keeps, that's what keeps us uh, energized and ready to work. And, <laughs> and it's so fun. Like, yeah. and his delivery, I can't remember the actor's name. The actor, that actor is hilarious in that scene because it's played totally straight. Yeah. It's, like literally and, like like you're with your coworker and you're just talking about like a keto versus intermittent fasting diet. That's yeah. how that comes across. And I can't vouch for the science, but but the way they deliver it, it certainly sounds plausible. And <laughs> and it, then they also veer into cuz I um I, I it's you know sometimes I I can miss the forest for the trees and I'm thinking, "Okay, so is he just, you know, is he magical? Is he just really tough?" It, Chris. Mm-hmm. And um you know they they said, "Oh, so is that the kind of diet Chris eats and the and the guy's like, no, it's the giving that keeps him young. Right. And then I think that's right before his big, you know, crisis of faith scene where he's just about to throw in the towel and his wife uh, brings him the, what is it, the the letters or videos mm-hmm. from from kids he inspired. You know, he like, I think he delivered one a fire truck and they grew up to be a firefighter and save people and, right. and stuff like that. And, you know, so I, I'm trying to figure out what Santa's powers are. Is essentially, you know, I grew up reading the Marvel uh, role-playing game source books and stuff to break down exactly how everybody's powers work. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was it was not what I expected in in a very good way. Yeah, Walton Goggins, you you brought him a couple of times now. I like he because, like I said, Mel Gibson plays this very grizzled Santa, but he has a heart, and he you know, and he's vulnerable, and you know, he play you know opposite um, his wife in the movie who is played by Marianne Jean-Baptiste, uh, he's great. And, and you know, he's he it's it's a warm performance for somebody who comes across initially as very hostile and very cold. But Walton Goggins, as you said, I love his portrayal of this because he's not, he's all business in this. He's like, I am a paid killer. And, you know, and, and it's like and when he's given the job by the kid, who's this entitled spoiled brat, which we need to talk about him in just a minute, but he's just like, ah, this is going to be tough. Like, this is, you know, like he's not, he's not super assassin. Like yeah. he, he, he legitimately understands the risks involved in Santa and, and charges for it. And he like talks about these things and, and it's actually kind of fun to see him work because sometimes, you know, they do these assassin movies and the assassin has all the resources and all the answers and they're like geniuses mm-hmm. and they can figure out where their target is in a scene or two. And he like legitimately, because Santa's, you know, can't, Santa can't let people know where he lives. Like the military knows. But it's like a, a, a very you know kept secret, and so Walton Goggins really has to play detective to figure out where Santa is. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, and um, and even the scene where where he goes through with the uh, the, the the postal worker. I mean, it, it ha- you know that's about as straight as you can play finding Santa. I mean, it looks like you know a scene where this you know dangerous killer is gathering information. Mm. In any other, and it's not played like, ha ha, he killed the mailman or whatever. I mean, it's it, 
it's amazing how straight they they were able to play some of this. And um, but and the other thing I thought was cool about uh, Goggins' character is, you know, it's 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 personal for him too. You know, we see him like tracking down uh, things that Santa delivered. You know, a actual verified uh, Santa presence uh, because mm -hmm. he he didn't get whatever he wanted as as a child. So you, you know, you, you see him balancing that that professionalism with with the desire for revenge, and it it just it never really descends into a cartoon for either of them. You know, they're all they're these characters in this you know fanciful, ridiculous setup. But I mean, you can you can understand and see what makes each of them tick. Yeah, it's. It's very believable performances by very game actors in a silly premise that everyone is taking super seriously. You know, it, it it's fairly dramatic for how nonsensical it is, which is pretty yeah. Funny to me. Oh, and the, um, and the scene at the at the woodpile, you know, in in, mm -hmm. in the climax. Like I said, I expected this movie to be like a running shootout with a huge body right. count, but I mean that that scene at, at at the end. I mean that that was pretty darn tense. Yeah. No. It. Yeah. I I, I wanted to say this before. And I talked about this a little bit with Whitney Seibold. Bruce Willis, Mel Gibson, and um, Nicolas Cage are both in like crap tons of stuff lately. Like, mm -hmm. and, and it's all like little streamable movies here and there. Like, like this one. Um, this was released. Uh, okay, Saban Films acquired the film's U.S. distribution rights in September of 2020. It was released in select theaters November 13th, and then a limited release in Australia. Uh, and then was like immediately released for digital download November 17th and then on demand November 24th. So it's not like this had a huge run anywhere. Um, yeah. If you blinked, you would have missed it. This is one of those deals where like you're just kind of flipping through your streaming services one day or digital rentals. And you're like, what is this new Mel Gibson movie? And you and I talked about this on another triple feature that we're going to be doing in January with Ronnie Adams about how like every time you turn around, Bruce Willis is in another movie you've never heard of. Oh, yeah. Know? or Nicolas Cage is in these really weird small movies, um, one of which we'll be talking about. But I said Mel Gibson is too. Like Mel Gibson earlier in the year, he was the villain in, um, not Free Guy, the other, Boss Level. That's okay. on Hulu. He was, the, he was in that, and like and, if, and I don't have his IMDb up right now, but like Mel Gibson's been in a lot of little little movies, little, you know, like nothing, like, like he'll just turn up and stuff. And it's kind of fun. It, it's fun to see, and this is the point that I brought up with Whitney Seibold. Like, it's fun to see some of these actors just kind of playing right now. Yeah. You know, they, they may or may not actually need the money. I think he intimated that Nicolas Cage has got some financial issues, <laughs> but um, which I did not know. But uh, I, I tend not to pay attention to celebrities' personal lives. Yeah. But it's fun to see actors like in positions where they can just kind of take any role now. It really doesn't matter. Their their names are so rock solid at this point that if they want to be a weirdo sci-fi movie or a weirdo Santa movie or whatever, they can just do it and have fun and be actors. And that's, that's the fun of being an actor is you get to make, you get to do make-believe. I think we sometimes get caught up into like, Oh, actors have to be in these billion dollar franchises and whatnot. Like, you know, a good actor or a professional actor, somebody who really, you know, treasures the craft just wants to play and do make-believe. Yeah. And it's always cool to see, um, you know, some an, an iconic actor get get a shot at Santa Claus. You know, I mean, you, we had uh, Kurt Russell doing the, the the Christmas Chronicles, which is a more traditional mm -hmm. uh, Santa, and this is like, what if Santa Claus was in a Mel Gibson movie almost? You know, <laughs> um, 
so the, yeah, that, that 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 was a lot of fun. Just to you know, I mean, I'm not going to say everything he 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 does is gold, but I mean, there's movies that if somebody else was in them, I I wouldn't watch. But if Mel Gibson's in it, I'll be like, let's let's, let's see what he's got going on here. Yeah, yeah I, I I've explored I... some of those Bruce Willis uh, <laughs> ones. I mean, if somebody offered me six or seven figures to do a weekend's worth of work, I, I I'd I'd take it too. But no doubt. Um, I would not have watched this of my own volition. So I, you know, one of the things doing as many podcasts as I do is when somebody comes up with a pitch that they're passionate about, or at least remotely interested in, I'm willing to just go with it because I'm not one of these people who, if I watch a bad movie, that's the end of my life. And I have to yeet myself off a high cliff. Um, I, I, you know, like, Oh, let, let, let's get into it. Let's see how bad this really is. And I was pleasantly surprised. I would never have watched this unless you had been like, let's talk about it. So yay. That is the whole point of what we're doing. Um, I, I just, I, I want to move on to the next movie, but I got to mention the kid. The kid's great in this. Oh yeah. Uh, he, 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 he has this like very entitled, you know, like almost con artist way about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, in his whole motivation is that he loses a science fair. He's the runner up. And, you know, and, you know, he, he, uh, he, he threat, he has the hitman threaten the girl. Oh yeah. Science fair. And then, then he gets the lump of coal and he's like, yeah, Santa's got to go. Uh, and then he gets he gets all of his comeuppance at the end. He's yeah. the real villain of this thing. And it's not um, it's not one of those situations where it's just a kid reading adult lines. You know, I mean he I mean he he's obviously in some ways you know really sophisticated and vicious. But I mean, like you said, it's a science fair. He got second place in a science fair that sets this whole thing in motion. And I'm pretty sure he didn't even do his own project. Right. You know, and he's. Right. He's he's wanting his dad to pay attention to him, and I mean, so he's uh, he, he's he's more of a kid than some kids you see in, in a lot of movies. Sure. All right. I think we've uh, anything else you wanted to bring up about Fat Man before we move on? Mm, no, no, right. I'm I'm good on that. Cool. All right. Before we move on, I want to remind everybody that one of our great sponsors here is Grammarly. Grammarly's uh, AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you're around on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash w2mnetwork. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash w2mnetwork to download Grammarly for free. Next one is the one I was passionate about. This is the one I wanted to talk about. And I can't imagine another scenario where I would have ended up talking about this on a podcast. So I was like jumping at the, I think Robert asked me during our Norway out um, review last night. He was like, why did you add the ref to this? And I'm like, uh, cause it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my most favorite movies of all time. I love the ref. I love a good, like talky, dramatic, uh, almost play like movie. And I'm a huge Dennis Leary fan. Like I, <laughs> you and I have vastly different parenting styles. <laughs> so I, I say this, and I expect to be quietly judged, but I had uh, Dennis Leary's no cure for cancer on in the car with my kids and they were cracking up laughing. You know, when he starts talking about, you know, like I don't do le- illegal drugs anymore. I just do the legal ones. Night, right night tonight I'm on NyQuil and Sudafed. <laughs> and I, it's capital and small like big f and q the q was talking to me the q was talking to me my kids were howling in the car and i put it on initially because his um his the album begins with his asshole song you know and i will sing that around work I'll, people will actually hear me going 
I like to have fun at someone else's expense. Oh no, oh yeah. <laughs> I drive really snow and ultra fast lane while people behind me are going insane. I'm an asshole. Um, <laughs> have you heard it? You know I have not. Oh my god, when we're done with this, go go on Spotify. No, go on Amazon Music. There you go. I am and- a when I, when I hear Dennis Leary and, and music, I uh, I am reminded of uh, a, a performance he did on Late Night with Conan O'Brien. I uh, believe the chorus was, we drink and we fight and we drink and we die. Yeah, the Irish drinking song. Yes. That's also on No Cure for Cancer. Yeah, And, no, and he punched out Michael Flatley. So. <laughs> Go, that's right. Go check out um, his comedy album, No Cure for Cancer. It's gold. Anyway, all of that to say I'm a huge Dennis Leary fan. So when I heard in the mid-90s that he was in this christmas movie christmas movie called the ref with kevin spacey and judy davis i'm like i gotta check this thing out i might have actually seen this in theaters because this is i was i would have been like a senior in high school or my freshman in college depending on when this was um so here's the deal with this uh it's 1994 black comedy directed by ted demi um and it stars the aforementioned people I said before. Uh, th- this is a long plot synopsis. So I'm just going to say, basically, he plays a cat burglar. And he's tr- um, his the, the burglary gets botched. Like, he gets the prize, but he, you know, he, there's a trap that's sprung on him that's, like, filled with cat piss, which becomes a running gag throughout this movie. Was, was he robbing Kevin McAllister's house? <laughs> he might have been. <laughs> yeah, he's the third wet bandit we never saw. Um <laughs> So he's uh so he bungles the robbery. Um, well, he gets the prize, but the cops are on the run, are on the hunt for him now. His getaway situation is all screwed up. So he's stuck where he is. He has to take like refuge among these uh, suburbanites. Meanwhile, Kevin Spacey and his wife Judy Davis are having all kinds of problems in their marriage. Judy Davis cheated on Kevin Spacey. They live in their in his mother's house. They run his mother's business. Everyone in this marriage is miserable. It opens up with them doing couples therapy. And where the title The Ref comes from is they're like they're both kind of trying to get the re- the uh, the therapist to take their side, which, of course, you're not supposed to do in therapy, um, which then leads to uh, them being taken hostage by Dennis Leary. They, he takes them back to the house. He's like, I got to hide here for a while. He ends up tying them up. But they're bickering the entire time this is happening. <laughs> And there are t- and there are times that Dennis Leary has to act like a referee and get between them. And there's a great sequence where he has them bungee corded uh, together, and they're in chairs and they're bickering back and forth and they're gutter sniping at one another. And he just tips the chairs over, and he puts the gun in Judy Davis's face, and he's like, "Did you or did you not cheat on your or no? Did you or did you not hide the cigarettes and lie about it?" <laughs> and she's like. Because you got a gun in your face. It's like, I did. And and Kevin Spacey says something really snarky. And he puts the gun in his face. And he was like, and it says something very similar. He's like, tell the truth. And he goes, you yeah, know, no, you're you right. You saw the I stop sign, didn't you? Yeah, you saw the stop sign, didn't you, Lloyd? <laughs> um, this goes on for a while. They have a ne'er-do-well child in military school who is blackmailing J.K. Simmons. Which, for all you J.K. Simmons fans out there, go check out the ref. He's in this. Oh, I, 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 was, I was excited. I knew Kevin Spacey was in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was like, you know, I recognize Christine Baranski, but uh, I missed Simmons' name in the in the credits. And I'm like, hey, it's Jonah. He, yeah, he's so Everything young. comes back to Marvel with me. It just, it, it does. <laughs> 
this was, I think, pre this precedes, I think, him being um, Schillinger on Oz. Like, he looks super young. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he's one of these guys who's looked like he's 40 forever. So, <laughs> um, he, so he plays one of the, the people in the military school that's being blackmailed by this kid. Uh, the kid comes home, he doesn't, you know, but he knows his parents are fighting all the time. He's just not happy with his situation. So he tries to avoid going home. Also, you have, and I don't know how they're all related, but basically a brother or a sister-in-law and their spouse and their two kids. Yes, Lloyd's and, brother. Okay. And then, I, just, I just watched it like this morning, so it's, okay. it's all fresh in my brain. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't tell who was related to who. I, I mean, I knew that like Lloyd, the mother in that is Lloyd's mother, but that's about as far as I got. Um, they, uh, they all think his wife, played by Judy Davis, is a bit of a flake. And uh, the the mother the mother in law hates her and all of this other stuff so that lends to the tension. So yeah, so this, I guess in previous Christmases she's made just awful meals, <laughs> like just like really artsy, over the top, stupid, awful meals. So they're all eating like Chinese food before they go there <laughs> because they they know like they're not going to eat well. Um, so that's the whole tension of the thing. The couple is fighting. Dennis Leary's trying to not get caught by the police. The relatives are all coming. The son's there. This is all coming to a head. And Dennis Leary is in the middle of all of it trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do? I it, it all um it it builds towards this scene where they're opening presents. And that's where everyone just starts to uh unveil themselves of their secrets and emotions and misgivings and frustrations. And basically like you have Judy Davis who kind of who talks about I didn't want to live with your mother and I didn't want to do this and I didn't want to do that and it just feels like if I feel not seen I feel not heard you know typical woman stuff um, <laughs> she, she's just like I I feel alone in this marriage and then Kevin Spacey comes back with hang on everything I did was to accommodate you we moved out of New York because you didn't like being poor. We did this for this reason. We did this for this reason. We did this for this reason. This is all in the service of finally standing up for himself and unveiling himself of all of his frustrations that he's kept bottled up all these years. You know, typical man stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and they come to a better understanding of each other and a willingness to try again. Meanwhile, everybody else has like had it with the mother and they're all yelling at her and you know, and Dennis Leary is just trying to get out of the situation. The son shows up, and at some point, like he's tied to a chair, and then, then he, then he would rather go with Dennis Leary than be with his parents. So he tries to go with him. The, no, the, we've all been there. Sure. Who hasn't wanted to join with their kidnapper and leave their parents? Um, I mean, Dennis Leary, but specifically, <laughs> recognize just to bring this plot synopsis, as it were, to a close. Um, recognizing the good that the situation has inadvertently has caused and opening up communication between these two, they cover for Dennis Leary and they make sure that he can escape. Um, son gets him through the woods. He gets on a boat. He finds his partner. They, there's a very funny end sequence of Dennis Leary being Dennis Leary. <laughs> and they on, and off they go. Um, and then it ends with Kevin Spacey and his wife like, eh, maybe we'll try again. And that's pretty much the movie. I, I've been talking for a while now. I love this movie. I love this movie so much. This is such a good movie because it's so well acted. It's, it's such a, in a way, it's kind of a silly premise. Like a couple 
you know, reaches the pinnacle of Adam uh, of acrimony in their marriage and somehow finds peace through this tense, like hostage situation as an elevator pitch. And I know I just said that 20 minutes ago, but as an elevator pitch, it's a weird pitch, but it works so well. And it works because everybody in it's such a good actor and really committed to this idea of making, making the idea of the ref feel realistic and something that I think people can, res- you know, can I, can identify with. Oh yeah. The, uh, I mean, you know, the, the idea of uh, being trapped with people you don't want to spend Christmas with mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it gets very, you know, very literal, but I mean, it, it works really yeah. well in it. Um, you know, I, I had never seen this before, although I, I remember seeing the previews. Um, I, I think it was one uh, that that got like advertised a lot on pay per view mm-hmm. back in the back in the day or whatever. So I remember seeing the previews for this like a million times, <laughs> um, and I, I just never got around to, to watching it um, for for whatever reason. But um, yeah, I, uh, I, I I I agree with you. It was, it was very well acted. I mean, of course, you you know me. Uh, the the language t- turned me off a little bit. Not that there isn't plenty in in the in the other movie i su- suggested for for this too um i, I you know i just I, I, th- I think you can can tell stories and have creative dialogue without that but i mean the the basic story and and the structure and the performances yeah i i, I agree it was it was strong um i and 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 you know there, there was there, there's a lot of a lot of funny stuff even even beyond them i mean one of the scenes that cracked me up the most was the uh you know the local cops um, accidentally recording over the evidence. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, because uh, I mean, I, I can operate a VCR, but you know, fast forward to today's technology, and you know, you've seen me fumble around trying to get set up for these these podcasts before. So uh, it's it's it, a funny scene, and it's it's also it's, it's in twenty twenty one. It's funny to see the 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 idea of somebody writing into a movie they taped over a VHS tape by hitting a button. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a little more complicated than all of that, but it's funny to, it, it's funny that they were like, let's write that joke in there. And you know, whether or not it's believable, who cares? It'll be, it'll make somebody laugh. Yeah. I, I guess if I, um, yeah. Uh, so one of the, uh, maybe criticisms I had, well, it, the, a, a positive and a negative. Like I, I like that. Um, they did a lot of, uh, I mean, I guess they still told, you know, a lot of times they say show, don't, don't tell, but they didn't just dump exposition. They, they worked it in with, with the dialogue. Like when you meet Lloyd and Caroline, they, you know, you know, they're having problems, but you don't know exactly why. And as, as that gets revealed, you understand kind of where, where both of them are coming from. I, I didn't feel like we got that as much like for, for Gus, for Dennis Leary. I, I felt like he was just there to be Dennis Leary. Um, like he ha- well, he he has a perspective too. Um, yeah, he, talk- he what what's interesting about this movie is it also deals with class. You mm-hmm. know, yes, he he feels like they deserve everything that's happening to them because they're all you know upper mid class, upper middle class, upper class white people in a big house. Everything they have, everything they could ever want, and he's you know rough and tumble and just trying to you know trying to do what he has to to survive and you know and he sees them sniping and at one another and tearing each other apart and he's like what you know how could people who have everything be this miserable 
And their retort to him is basically like, just because we have a lot of stuff, one, it's not all, it's not all ours. Number one, this is all, this is a facade. Mm -hmm. uh, Did you ever see American beauty? Yes. Okay. Very much in that vein um, of, and I, and I, and I tend to enjoy those kinds of movies that really sort of tear at the veneer of the white upper middle class, you know, and how, and and you know this being an you know being a white man, um, <laughs> there's we uh, we we can in a civilized society we can tend we we can put on airs and I, I'm make, I'm being somewhat facetious. This this could happen anywhere, but like you put on airs, you you know there's a lot of pleasantries exchanged and a lot of you know I think the modern equivalent is to people understand what I'm getting at here is you look on someone's like Instagram or Facebook, and they just they just look like they have the perfect life. Meanwhile, you don't see the five seconds before they, sh- they took the shot of a smiling boy that the kid was like tearing off his own clothes or hitting the TV with a hammer or something. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, um, and may- maybe part of that was was my perspective because, and we'll we'll probably talk about that a little bit with within in Bruges. But I, I, I have built up kind of kind of a resistance to the uh, to the sympathetic criminal. Mm, movie uh not the i mean not not that i i i think they're all bad or or anything but i i don't know i i had a little like i i got you know his his perspective on you know i i have to work at this i'm like yeah but dude you're robbing people you know i mean it's not like you're trying to make an honest living but that may be me they're both pointing at each other and saying you're entitled right you know he's saying you're a bunch of entitled rich people they're saying you think you 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 think you deserve this because you've had it rough, and and like the moral of the story is we all have it rough, you know, in one way, shape, or form. Wealth does not equate to you know ease of life. We certainly know plenty of wealthy people who struggle. They struggle with mental health. They struggle with substance abuse. They struggle with morality. They they struggle with all kinds of things. And just again, just because you have a lot of stuff doesn't mean bad things don't happen to you. Um. And I think that's one of the things that the movie talks about in its own way. It's one of the things that, look, not, not to get tremendously personal, but, you know, I, um, there's a lot of fighting that went on in my house um, for whatever the reasons were. And I'm not going to get into all that. I just know that I grew up a lot around a lot of people who yelled and screamed at each other. And, you know, you can pull it together in front of other people, but then you go home and that's when, you know, and that's when everything becomes miserable again. So that's one of the reasons why I like this movie so much is that it speaks to something very personal for me. And I think for a lot of people who, you know, whose home lives were not spectacular, um, sure. you know, that I love being married and I've worked very, very hard at making my marriage work. It's not easy for everybody. Um, people struggle with it. And that's the another thing that the movie talks about is, you know, Lloyd and Caroline let their marriage get away from them because they weren't communicating, you know, and they acted out. She cheats on him because she feels unloved. He shuts down because he feels like talking is pointless. I won't be heard. And it leads to. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I like the, I mean, neither one of them was, was the bad guy. I mean, the mother-in-law was, was, was the bad guy, but that's, that's what mother-in-laws tend to tend tend to be. But, Mm -hmm. but yeah, neither one of them, I mean, you kind of go back and forth with who you feel sorry for, or feel annoyed with, but but in the end, it's like, well, they both screwed up. You know, right. it's 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 not like they one of them was just, well, I I tried really hard, and that gone it. You didn't didn't do anything. Um, you know that they, they they both made mistakes. Right. So um, I just 
and, and and please don't think I'm trying to talk you out of, of, of loving the movie. I, I'm just saying where, you know, uh, Gus, Gus didn't didn't connect with me as no, as much I, as maybe some of the other characters. No, I think Dennis Leary's hilarious in this. I, oh I, yeah, I, no, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I just I I am I'm with you. I'm not all really on his side. He's he's there, and it's and this is how his character's supposed to be written. Like like he nails it, but he's there to generate dialogue between Caroline and Lloyd. Right. Like that's the whole, it's the, the movie is named the ref. He's there as a plot function. He, you know, you're not necessarily supposed to like when he's saying things about how you people always have everything, you know, you deserve to be robbed because you have too much as it is and things like that. You're not really supposed to be on his side. You're that's set up for then Caroline and Lloyd to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either against each other or against him. So I, I'm fine with you being like, eh, eh Dennis Leary sucks. Um, no, but, I, I I got no problem with, with with Dennis Leary. I was just I I don't know the ca- um, his character. I mean, yeah, it, it it made it made total sense for the story that that they mm-hmm. want to help him him get away. But I'm like, did what what did he do to really in, in, endear himself? I mean, I I get it. It it, it makes sense. But I'm sitting there going, I, I don't know. The other thing, and this is just purely me overthinking it, mm-hmm. is I go, okay, it, it, it all works out well. They, he helped them. They had to have him get away. He's got to ride off into the sunset. Their marriage works. But what about the rest of the family that's still tied up in the other room? Like, they're, like they're not going to go to the cops five minutes later? Well, yeah. you heard what they said. Like, should we untie them? Like, nah, we'll wait till Christmas morning. It'll be more festive when we open them. Yeah. No, and and I mean, and and that that's not again. That that's like me wondering. Well, what are the source of Mel Gibson's powers in Fat Man? <laughs> instead of just you know, just in, in you know, watching the story. I mean, the, the the story wrapped up perfectly. I'm just like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. How do we know Christine Baranski isn't going to call the cops and say they? Uh, you know, and it's like that's that's not the story. Just let it go. <laughs> So this did not do well at the box office, which is very unfortunate. Um, this uh, did only eleven million, and I don't even know what the, what the budget on this thing was. Doesn't really matter. Um, however, the CGI was incredible, though. Of course, it was. Um, <laughs> the, it grossed eleven million at the domestic box office, coming in number four of the weekend behind Guarding Tess, Lightning Jack, and Ace Ventura: Pack Detective. Oh, that was the weekend it came out. Um, I think I saw Guarding Tess that weekend. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 72% based on 54 critics. Um, Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. Material like this is only as good as the acting and the writing. The ref is skillful in both areas, and it kind of goes on and on like that. Entertainment Weekly didn't love it. They gave it a C-. The ref is crushingly blunt-witted and monotonous in its celebration of domestic sadism. I don't agree with that. No, no. I, um, I Like I said, I, I had seen this previewed a lot. I, Whenever anybody brings it up, I only hear people say good things about it. I actually mm-hmm. got it from the library, and I'm checking it out. And the lady at the desk goes, I love this movie. My daughter and I watch it every year. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's because I think it's it's one of the most relatable movies. We oh, yeah. either have parents like this or know people like this. Like, these are not, you know, this is not, to- gosh, I can't get away from this stupid topic. This is not Tony Stark. Nobody knows a Tony Stark. <laughs> No, no, you know, <laughs> nobody knows. Half it of doesn't all have to come back to comics, Mark. <laughs> Hoisted by my own petard. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, 
of these fancy movies that we see, these these fantastic characters that we are exposed to, they have relatable qualities, but very few of us know people like the ones we see in the biggest movies that we can find. In the smaller movies like this one, we see ourselves. And I think that's why I love it so much is like when I see the ref to one degree or another, I see my parents or I see some of my friends' parents. I have my best friend, um, his his parents fought like cats and dogs until his mom unfortunately passed away from cancer. Like, you know, if he were here right now, he'd be telling you like, oh my God, those were my parents. Like, <laughs> well, even uh, even Dennis Leary's character. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. minus the uh, the cat burglar aspect, which mm-hmm. you have to have to to make the story work. Because why else would he be wielding a gun? I mean, I you know, sure. I I feel like I I know people like that who are you know frustrated, understandably with with people, but you know, kind of think they 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 know know a little bit more um, about that without without really understanding what those people are going through. So yeah, right. he, even even he's relatable. Um, the dog that eats the billiard ball less mm-hmm. relatable but um but yeah i mean yeah even, even gus is uh is his you know character traits are, are relatable too mm-hmm. so overall i'm glad you like this movie that makes me happy that you that i pitched you a movie that you hadn't seen that you ended up really really liking uh tell your friends you know tell them some language but yeah. um <laughs> but yeah now now i hope the ref is on your christmas your christmas movie list well i I, I I don't know if if I go that far, but uh, but it's not on my I won't watch it again list. No, I mean I I I like I I appreciated the acting. Um, yeah, it was uh, you know, it it was not a chore to watch by any stretch. So when you trim your tree with your daughters or your um your your baking Christmas cookies, whatever it is you you do in the Evan Bevins household to uh that are Christmas traditions, you have the music playing. What are some of your favorite Christmas music songs? I know I know one of them has to be after knowing me, Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey. But aside from Oh that, sure. <laughs> um well uh what what we have uh what the kids frequently ask uh Amazon music to, yeah. to play for us, um, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is true, um, is uh, they got really into the voice. So uh, Underneath the Tree by Kelly Clarkson. Okay. Um, Hallelujah by Carrie Underwood and John Legend, which sounds fantastic, <laughs> but the lyrics, it seems like they've just pasted a lot of Christmas carols together. Um, so, and then, uh, of course, uh, uh, Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas. You know that that one. That one comes up a lot. Well, I'll tell you, we like the uh, we like the silly Christmas songs. I know Weird Al got banned from the house. The, at least the one um, wife said no more Christmas at Ground Zero. But however, uh, Mel Blanks, uh, the hat I got for Christmas is too big. Um, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Those are okay. staples around my house. I got I got one for you. Yeah. I want an alien for Christmas by Fountains of Wayne. I will check that out. Oh my gosh. It's hey, it's phenomenal. Do you know where I might be able to uh try out Fountains of Wayne for free? I bet you could find it on Amazon Music. I can. And as a matter of fact. That's a bump set spike. Um, <laughs> uh, we are giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service where you can hear all the kinds of Christmas music and the Fountains of Wayne and Fountains of Maine doing Christmas music. Um, I got one for you. Uh, Gwen Stefani, no doubt. Oi to the world. 
their cover of Oi to the World. Huh. Okay. Okay, yeah. See, I will, I will have to check that out. You can use, if you click the link at amazonmusic.com slash W2M network in the description of this podcast, you can go check out No Doubt doing Oi to the World. You can also check out No Use for a Name doing Fairy Tale of New York. These are all great Christmas covers by punk rock bands. Do you like the punk rock, Evan Bevins? Um, no. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not sure I know what qualifies. Okay. Well, I, I, I know. I, I uh, was getting ready to fire back with uh, Merry New York Christmas by Rob Thomas. So, Gotcha. Also, I would be remiss if I did not point out that um, It Must Have Been Loved by Roxette is technically a Christmas song. Oh, that's amazing. I love that song. It, it was originally uh, submitted for a European Christmas anthology album that didn't do so hot. And then the producers of Pretty Woman were like, hey, Roxette, you got a song for us? And they said, why, yes, we do. That's amazing. But like with Swedish accents. Uh, so for a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Unlimited Music Service, click the link at amazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. You can try it out for a month. And then you can give it up with no fuss or no must, no contracts, no pains in the butt, nothing like that. Or you can keep it and pay the monthly fee. We obviously we use it all the time here on the Rattleism Broadcasting Network. All right. And now on to our third feature of the evening in Bruges, a 2008 black comedy film written and directed by Martin McDonough. Um, in, uh, in his feature length debut, as a matter of fact. It stars Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson as two Irish hitmen hiding with Ralph Fiennes as their hiding with Ralph Fiennes as their enraged boss. The film is set and was filmed in Bruges, Belgium, where the waffles are from. Uh, for his performance in the film, Farrell won a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor for a motion picture, musical, or comedy, while Gleeson was nominated in the same category. McDon- uh, McDonough won a BAFTA Award for Best Original Screenplay, was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, it had a budget of $15 million and made roughly $34.5 million at the box office. Uh, it debuted at Sundance on January 17, 2008, and then in the United States, February 8th of 2008, and then in the UK, April 18th, 2008. So here's how this one goes. Carrying out orders, rookie hitman Ray shoots a priest during confession, like you do but accidentally kills a young boy who was also in church. He and his mentor, Ken, are sent to Bruges by their employer, Harry, Ralph Fiennes, where they are to await further instructions. Ken finds the city charming and quaint, while Ray has nothing but contempt for it. They chance upon a film shoot involving a dwarf actor, which amuses Ray. Ray is attracted to Chloe, a local drug dealer, moonlighting as a production assistant. He takes her to a restaurant where he gets into an argument with a Canadian couple, mistaking them for Americans like you do, and ends up knocking them unconscious. Chloe takes Ray to her apartment where they begin to have sex, but her boyfriend, Eric, uh, appears and threatens Ray with a handgun. Ray disarms him and fires the gun loaded with blanks in Eric's face, blinding him in one eye. Chloe admits that she and Eric robbed tourists, but insists she had told Eric that Ray was not a target. Ray and Ken, Ken spend a debauched night with a dwarf actor. Jimmy, who takes cocaine and ran, who t- takes cocaine and rants about the coming war between whites and blacks. <laughs> uh, Harry calls Ken and orders him to kill Ray on the principle that killing a child, even accidentally, is unforgivable. With a handgun supplied by Ray's local contact, Yuri, Ken tracks Ray to a park and reluctantly prepares to kill him. Ray, whoever destroyed his killing of the boy, prepares to kill himself. 
with Eric's loaded gun. Seeing this, Ken stops Ray, informs him of Harry's orders, and tells him to leave Bruges and to make a new start elsewhere. He gives Ray some money <coughs> and puts him on a train to another city while confiscating his gun to prevent a further suicide attempt. Ken reports the truth back to Harry, who immediately sets out for Bruges, enraged at the disobedience. He picks up a gun at Yuri's, and Eric's and Yuri's son learns of his intention. On the train, Ray is identified by, Can by the Canadian couple he assaulted in the restaurant and is escorted by the police back to Bruges. Chloe bails him out, and the two share a drink on the market square beneath the belfry of Bruges. Harry arrives in Bruges and rushes through the streets towards Ray's hotel, but Ken spots Ken but spots Ken sitting outside a cafe. As the two have, have a drink, Harry boasts that he that if he himself had killed a child, he would have immediately taken his own life. Ken argues that Ray has the capacity to change and deserves a chance at redemption. Harry is unconvinced, so Ken suggests they ascend the bell tower. At the top, Harry pulls his handgun on Ken, but Ken refuses to resist. Confused, Harry cannot bring himself to kill Ken, so he suits him in the leg as punishment for not killing Ray. Seeing Ray at the square, Eric climbs the tower to inform Harry, who is helping Ken down the, the tower. Ken tries to disarm Harry, who shoots him in the neck and rushes down. Bleeding heavily, Ken drags himself back to the top of the tower and jumps into the square. Ray rushes to Ken's mangled body and learns of Harry's arrival just before he dies. Ken tells him to take his gun, but has been broken in the fall. Harry chases Ray to the hotel. Marie, the pregnant owner, refuses Harry entry even when he draws his gun. To protect the owner and her unborn child, Harry and Ray agree to continue the chase on the canal, and Ray, armed with Eric's loaded gun, jumps onto a passing barge but loses the gun. Harry wounds Ray with a shot from a distance. Ray staggers onto the street where Jimmy's film is shooting. Harry catches up and repeatedly shoots Ray until he collapses. One of the bullets hits Jimmy, blowing his head apart. Mistakenly believing that he has killed the child, Harry, despite protests from Ray, kills himself. Ray is carried past Chloe, Marie, and Eric into an ambulance. In narration, Ray reflects on the nature of hell, speculating that it is an, an eternity in the city of Bruges, and declares <laughs> that he really hoped he wouldn't die. Okay, sir. A delightful Christmas romp. Yeah, yeah, this is right up there with Muppet's Christmas Carol. Yikes. <laughs> well, talk to me, Goose. What do you think of this movie? I... I, um, in spite of myself, I, I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it and, mm -hmm. and it, it held up, uh, when I watched it, you know, all these years later, you know, I, I said, um, I, I kind of, I, I've long ago grew a little tired of the, uh, you know, Hitman with a heart of gold or robber with a heart of gold story. So I, I saw previews for this and didn't think twice about it. And then when Colin Farrell won the, uh, the golden globe which is, you know, sounds less prestigious now that, than it did then. I was like, what, what about this, you know, just, you know, lame, odd looking by the numbers, hitmen talking about stuff, uh, movie, you know, got people's attention. And I, I watched it and, uh, d despite the language, I, I really thought, I thought it was well done. Um, you know, I, I didn't know, why they were they were cooling their heels in in Bruges? I mean, you know who who hasn't been stuck on a vacation where other people are excited and you're like, oh, okay, so we're doing this now. <laughs> so so I I get that, but then um you know the the fact that uh you know Ray is is struggling with with this with with you know what he's done um you know there there was 
a lot of seriousness underneath the comedy. And, um, I just, uh, you, you know, the, the idea that, um, you know, there, there, there were certain lines that, that, that Ken wouldn't cross, um, like he, he, he wouldn't, wouldn't kill Ray. Um, even though, you know, killing people is his job. We get to the reason Ken's so loyal to, to Harry, which is facilitated by Jimmy's drug fueled race war, uh, chit chat. Um, I just, uh, there, there was, there was more to it than, you know, just guys killing people, but it's okay. Cause they're killing bad people. Um, you know, it actually, dealt with, Hey, what happened when you go around shooting guns, bad stuff happens sometimes. Right. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't seek out movies for, for the violence, but it, one thing that really bugs me is like a PG 13 movie where people are dying left and right, but you don't see a drop of blood and you don't know anybody's name who dies. It's just like, you know, people are disposable. Right. The violence in this is ugly. Yeah. I mean, when when Ken jumps off that that bell tower, that is awful. That is hard to, hard to watch. You know, as as he he dies. I mean, I I think it should be. If if your violence is going to be funny, I need it to be Hot Shots Part Two level or or higher. Um, so uh, yeah, I I thought I thought it was it was really well done. It. You know, it, it dealt with, you know, the, the consequences of, of these actions and even some of the quote unquote morality that Ken felt like he, he still had. And even Harry, I mean, Harry had principles he lived by, um, you know, <laughs> so um, I, I just thought it was uh, I, I just thought it was a really well acted uh, movie with a, a well told story that wasn't uh, the least bit pleasant. There are a couple of scenes in this I really, really like. This one also, um, other, other than some of the gunplay scenes, could have been a play. Uh, the morality and the guilt that it deals with as themes. You have a hitman who kills a child, and he is racked with guilt. But there's also, I can't remember what movie or, or what pair of reviewers were talking about it, but this idea, oh, I think it might have been John Wick, you know, where... Even in a deadly game of assassination, there are rules, there are codes. There's something to keep this from descending into just animal behavior and the collapse of society at large. And without those things, and okay, so you joked about this before, but I actually am going to make a real wire reference. Um, I believe it's season three or four where um, one of the gangs is trying to kill Omar. It's, it's three. They're trying to kill Omar and uh, so they get a tip that he's walking his grandmother to the church on Sunday and she's got this big hat. They refer to it as a crown and she's got her Sunday dress on and he's in a suit and she doesn't know what he is. She just thinks he works at the airport and he's escorting her into a cab to go to church. And these two guys in the gang sh take a shot at them and everyone's like, did you violate the Sunday code? Like the Sunday ceasefire, they're like, "Well, you told us to go kill Omar. No, you know nothing, and not let anything stop us." They're like, "Not on a Sunday, you mook! <laughs> <laughs> you never like." And then, like, you cut to Omar, and he's like, "I can't believe they shot her crowd overhead on a Sunday. These people have no shame. They all got to go." Like he, like he was re going to let a reasonable amount of of uh, 
Avon's gang and Stringer's gang lived through this. But they shot at his grandmother on a Sunday, and they were like, that's it. The whole, the, everything must go. And, and Bruce sort of points at that, and it's just like, look, it's a dirty business, but somebody's got to do it. But there are some things you just don't do. And in doing them, and, and by, by accident or otherwise, how that plays on your soul, how it makes you feel. Um, and there's and this all leads to a really great scene. I talked about it in the, um, in the uh, recitation of the plot, where um, Brendan Gleeson's character is about, sh- is about to shoot Colin Farrell in the back. Mm-hmm. And Colin Farrell pulls a gun and puts it in his mouth, and he goes to blow himself away. And you know, and he quickly, like Brendan Gleeson, like hides the gun. He's like, oh my god, you were gonna kill yourself! And they have this beat, and he was like, "You're here to kill me. What difference does it make?" And it treats suicide. It's like it's kind of a funny moment, but it treats suicide as something very serious. Like it's one thing to be killed for the misgive for the misgivings that uh, for the uh, misdeeds that you've done. It's one thing to you know to be killed because you've done messed up and you need to be punished. It's a whole other kettle of fish and an unsettling unwarranted kettle of fish at that to kill yourself which i think is a funny take among murderers yeah you know like listen we murder is fine but let's not get into suicide that's too much that you know um and but colin farrell and 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 i i can see why he got awards for this and why he got nominations for other acting awards for this movie when he's sort of exasperated with himself about how he killed this kid and he can't he can't shut his eyes he can't live with it the guilt's too much it's really powerful stuff like it's like you've seen colin farrell in some things and and he can be kind of funny and sometimes miss the mark but i think here he shows he's got some pretty serious acting chops yeah and i um i got the uh got the the dvd box here i one of the other reasons I, i was curious about this um was i I, I really enjoyed. Um, I, I really like Brendan Gleeson as, as, as an actor. He, he, I remember he showed up, and I, I was looking on IMDb because the funny thing is, on the cover here, and even on the text on the back, like they don't even mention him. It's all Colin Farrell and Ray Fiennes, or Ralph Fiennes, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I know, I know that they're the big girls, but to me, this is like Brendan Gleeson's movie. He's the central character. Sure. And yeah. um, I, I don't know. To to me, I remember you know I saw him like in uh, what. 28 Days Later, Gangs of New York, and he just started showing up in a whole bunch of stuff I was watching. I, I got to think of him as like the the Irish John Goodman, you know, just this this guy that <laughs> I, I, I I liked when he when he showed up in a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and so um I I just I just thought that was kind of funny because I, I know Colin Farrell got the award deservedly so, and Ray Fiennes. I mean, you know, he's he he's a big draw, but I'm like like he guys left out the star of the movie. On the on the on the box, and even in the synopsis on the, on the back of the box. So I have this article here I want to share with you really quick. Because like, why are they talking about this movie? Other than you know, like we said it before, it's on a bunch of these weirdo Christmas movie lists. But the AVclub.com talks about why it's on everyone's Christmas list. <clears throat> so In Bruges captures the existential <clears throat> weight of the Christmas season. Um, and I'm going to skip down to this paragraph here. Martin McDonough's debut feature in Bruges only mentions the word Christmas a couple of times, but the existential weight of the season hangs so strongly over the film that it's unnecessary to underline it any further. The story of two hitmen camped out in Bruges, Belgium, after a murder gone wrong functions as a Christmas film precisely because it deeply inhabits the season's pensive nature. For its first half, in Bruges more or less operates as a vulgar comedy, 
much of it featuring Ray and Ken sightseeing around Bruges, like the stars of her crude The Odd Couple Goes to Belgium. It even has a religious religious bent to it as the characters struggle with how the realities of their profession brush up brush up against their ingrained Catholic morality. But more than that, in Bruges, like the Christmas holiday, adopts a light veneer mainly as a smokescreen for something much darker. In this case, heady discussions about the guilt and consequences of breaking ironclad moral principle, specifically race, accidental the murder of a child. In effect, in Bruges is a moral parable gussied up to look like a Euro vacation film. Like many Christmas films, in Bruges doesn't hide its existential core. Unlike many Christmas films, it does foreground said ex- existentialism's literary influences. An accomplished playwright, McDonough follows in the tradition of classic two-handers like Harold Pinter's The Dumbwaiter and Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot, a personal favorite of mine. I know I like to muck about in the uh, the bang zoom of the Michael Bay c- kinds of movies and whatnot, but I am a huge fan of the play Waiting for Godot because I'm fancy. Like I am... Uh... I am more a fan of Sam Beckett's um, traveling through time, setting things right that once went wrong, okay. and hoping each leap will be the leap home. <laughs> it's a different Sam Beckett. Oh, uh, my bad. Okay. Like Continue. Gus, thank you. It's like Ben and Gus or Vladimir or Estragon before them. Ray and Ken wait for vague instructions from their handler, Harry, in an unfamiliar location that becomes more unsettling over time. They have circular debates about whether Harry will call their hotel. They argue about the merits and flaws of their hideout. They sightsee various churches, rides, ride canal boats, and visit museums in an effort to distract themselves from their moral con- quandary. But neither of them can ignore Ray's grave mistake for very long. And McDonough, unlike Pinter or Beckett, eventually forces his protagonist to reckon with their sins instead of letting them stew in the dread of their paused existence. All right, so there's, so there's a very wordy answer to why is this a Christmas movie. Um, overall... I would have never have watched this on my own. <laughs> not in a million years. And it's not that I don't like this kind of movie. Who doesn't love a good Hitman movie? But um, it's just not... I didn't even know about this. Like, when you said it, I, it was so funny. You were like, hey, how about in Bruges? And I'm like, what? and I'm like spelling it wrong. Like, I can't <laughs> find it at first. I'm like, what the hell is this? I had to look up, like, Colin Farrell Widow Christmas movie. And then, like, there, I'm like, oh, it's in Bruges, the city. Got it. Um, but overall, like, it's a very... I, I, I have to say, of all of these, including, you know, Fat Man, which has very natural landscapes in it because it's in Alaska, in Bruges, because it takes place in Belgium, uh, in, in the city of Bruges, it, it, the cinematography is actually pretty good in this. Like, it, it's it, this this almost operates as like a tourism board movie. Like, <laughs> could c- come to Belgium, you know, uh, look at look at all of our wonderful architecture and canals and whatnot. I mean, you might get shot, but, you know. <laughs> you, know, you know bruges is the most well-preserved medieval town in the whole of belgium i would imagine that lends itself to the nice cinematography um anything else about in bruges uh no just uh I, that th- this was one I, I i wanted to go back and watch just because I, I i remembered it fondly and i was like it's it, it's been a while i wonder if it, if it holds up and it 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 totally did i uh i i enjoyed it just just as much as I did before, um, you know, because it handled a, a topic uh, or, you know, a, a style of film that I, that I don't usually care for. And it said, mm-hmm. hey, there, there are consequences to, to your actions, because a, a lot of times I feel like when you get a hitman movie where they have a conscience, it's just like, oh, I don't want to kill anymore, except I'll kill all the bad people. Yeah, and, that's, um, kind of, that's kind of gross point blank where yeah. he's a hitman with a heart of gold. You yeah, know, he. he 
you know, um, what's his face? Oh gosh, what's the actor's name? Help me. John Cusack. Uh, John Cusack. Yeah, John Cusack and um, Mini Driver, Driver. Are, are you know uh, are totally are totes adorbs, as I told my son. Um, and so, like, they can you know he can get away with being a horrible murderer because John Cusack is just you know adorable. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I like. Uh... I, know, I watched um, a while back an, another Colin Farrell hitman with conscience movie uh, Ava. Mm-hmm. It's on, on on Netflix. I mean, it, it it was really well made, but you know, at the same time, it was just like, well, you, I don't, you know, I like the people you killed, so I'm going to kill you now. And it's, you know, this. I mean, if anybody in that movie, you know, deserved to be shot and killed, it's the guy who shot and killed the kid, and yet you you feel sorry for him. Sure. I like so, a nice yeah. moral. I like a nice moral examination. You know, uh, it's funny. Um, I think all of these movies, if they, other than the, than the tangential Christmas theme, is that they're all they, these are both. All three of these movies are in some way dealing with some very strong emotions, whether it be guilt or loss of faith or, um, you know, a marriage fall, falling apart and all of that. Um, regret you know yeah i think the i think the major theme of the ref is regret you know we, we talked about um fat man the big theme of that one is loss of faith and then in here it, you know in bruges about guilt um and i and i like movies like that you know i like having spending an hour talking about these movies that deal with some very heady emotional themes so i'm glad we did this and, yeah. what, and what better time than to deal with some heady existential emotional themes than christmas time it's the most wonderful time of the year. It really is. I All bet right. you can hear that on Amazon Music too. I bet I've already done that plug. All right. So, <laughs> hey, I, I'm I'm finally getting to the point where I expect the plugs. Uh, on on some previous ones, you you would ask me this weird question, and then you know, I'd be at a loss. Like, um, <laughs> yes, I do type things. Grammarly <laughs> would help. Yeah. It's like where where is he going with his always doing a plug? Yeah. See yeah. now you're you're catching on. Um, all right, so that wraps up our triple feature here for the evening. Um, I'm glad we got a chance to do this. I like doing Christmas stuff during Christmas time; it makes me happy. I'm glad, so I was glad that the schedule worked out that we could fit this last one in. Uh, in the meantime, slightly less Christmassy. Last night we reviewed No Way Home. The night before that, we reviewed Nightmare Alley. All this week, we've got a bunch of Christmas re-airs and repages and whatnot. Yesterday was the Harley Quinn holiday special that we reviewed. Today was Tarja from Spirits and Ghosts, a uh, soundtrack to a dark Christmas. Tomorrow, I don't know if you know this or not, Evan Bevins, but myself and Chris Sheehan last year, we reviewed the Ultimate Warrior Christmas comic in vascular detail. Mm. I didn't. I did not know that. If you the the page will be up tomorrow on w2mnet.com. Check it out. I think you'll you'll have a raucous good time with it. We certainly did. Chris Bailey said he was crying. He was laughing so hard. <laughs> uh, we rather enjoyed ourselves. But um, all that sounds all, fun. Uh, we have more Christmas stuff for you. We've got uh, myself and Jesse Sarter reviewing the Last Christmas by Brian Posehn, um, a very violent Christmas comic. On the Christmas Eve, we will have a re-air of our Grinch 2018 review from illumination entertainment plus our christmas trivia show with myself jason and amber teasley and david wright and if my kids follow through 
uh, we will be doing yet another Christmas triple feature. This time it'll be Mickey's Christmas Carol, Yogi's First Christmas, A Very Happy Yule, and Emmett Otto's Jug Band Christmas Barbecue. You ever watch any Emmett? You know what Emmett Otto's Jug Band Christmas is? I know about it. I I, I need need to watch it. I, I've only heard good things about it, but it's, it has not crossed my path at this point. The next time you're with your children, you must sit them down and make them watch Emmett. And, let, and then report back to me how they feel about it. Okay. <laughs> um, and, oh. then make them, and then make them watch Yogi's First Christmas and see if your eldest child has the same awkward, slightly frightened reaction of Cindy Bear trying to come on to Yogi Bear. Hmm. My daughter nearly ran out of the room. <laughs> um, uh, Christmas Day... We'll have our re-airing of Jingle All the Way that we reviewed a couple years ago, plus uh, Heavy Saurus Rihalista Jula, which is a heavy metal band where they dress up as dinosaurs and play Christmas music. It's fantastic. The day after Christmas, uh, Christmas may be over, but we're not. We've got uh, myself and Jason Teasley reviewing Santa Jaws. And then finally, myself and Robert Winfrey reviewing The Hateful Eight. And in the evening time... Myself, Jeff Sloboda of the MCU's Bleeding Edge and Geek News Network, and David Wright will be reviewing Ghost in the Shell, Aeon Flux, and Ex Machina, because I do love doing these triple-featured podcasts. They're fun for me. All right, that's me. That's all my plugs for the time being. What do you got going on? You got any more free Willy comics? Uh, no, no, I, I ran out of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh... Not many people, uh, not many people read those either. But uh, once I started, I just couldn't stop. Um, but I, I am uh, trying to get uh, for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day uh, uh, a, a blog post about my my all time favorite Christmas comic, Marvel Two and One Number Eight, The Thing and Ghost Rider, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Okay. Um, and I, I've got uh, if you want to, I've I've done a couple others, uh, oddball Christmas stories, uh, Iron Man and Doctor Doom's King and Black team up where they uh, take on a venomized Santa Claus. And um, oh, and then uh, my my favorite uh, X Men Christmas comic uh, featuring the the team when they were in Australia uh, back in the day when uh, Crocodile Dundee was uh, was uh, you know the the envy of all Americans and the X Men uh, went down under and uh, got themselves involved in a little Christmas adventure. Well, that sounds amazing, Evan. Ben. And that is at asterisk51.blogspot.com. I should probably uh, tell everybody that as well. Yes. Um, speaking of... And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what, one other... If, if, you want, uh, if you want to see me write and ramble more about Fat Man, I did, uh, I did do, a, do a blog post on it uh, just, just to prove to you that I really had watched it. Um, so uh, you get, get a little more of my, my thoughts on that. I, I think that's all my, my Christmas content. Uh, all right. In the month of January, Evan Bevins will be on at least two shows where, he, uh, despite his protestations, we dragged him into a comic strip for Logan's Run. Um, and that we're doing for the Superblog team up because George Perez wrote, uh, drew some of the Logan's Run comics from Marvel. Um, and so we're going to compare those comic books to the 1976 or 77 movie. And that'll be myself, Evan Bevins, and Jeff- Jesse Starcher. Uh, the week before ish maybe googly where are you where i think it's the week before um yes january 6th uh myself evan bevins and ronnie adams of the screaming boy podcast 
We are going to do a triple feature. Speaking of oddball actors in their movies that they do, uh, Nicholas Cage's Prisoners of Ghostland, Chloe Grace Moretz's Shadow in the Cloud, and Bruce Willis's Out of Death. So those are some fun streaming movies from this past year that we're going to talk about because why the hell not? All right. Uh, in the meantime, I'm just excited somebody else is watching Shadow in the Cloud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's on my list. I needed to get it done. Um, please subscribe. If you enjoy the videos uh, portion of this, if you like to like watch your podcasts, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, W2Mnet. If you're a traditional audio person and you're listening on Spotify or Apple Music, please subscribe. Leave a rating. You can now rate us on Spotify. Please do so. Also, Apple Music. We are trying to get as many ratings and subscriptions as possible in these places so that eventually we have amassed enough to meet the criteria for Rotten Tomatoes, which is all I, and then I can, I will have achieved my goals, all of them in life, and I can walk into the woods to live deliberately. So if you'd like to see, so if you'd like to see me go into the woods to live deliberately, like William, uh, you know, Henry David Thoreau, then please like and subscribe wherever you find our podcast. Will you be live streaming your deliberate living? Yes, I will at least you. I will at least live streaming the walking into the woods naked, naked as the day is long, like Jamie Foxx in No Way Out. Yeah, <laughs> have you seen Have you seen Spider Man yet? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Okay, wait till you get to the Jamie Foxx scene, and he has to describe in vascular detail his nakedness. <laughs> have I, oh, have I, I, not- I? I was looking forward to it. Well, I'm glad I ruined it for you. All right, folks. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year from all of us to all of you at the Rattledge Broadcasting Network. For Evan Bevins, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.